Reading now from the 13th chapter of Romans, beginning in verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law, the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's been an interesting week. Some of the prettiest days were spent thinking about what could be the worst. Our hearts have ached for those who've been in the storm's path and our minds have wandered to what might happen here. On Thursday, when it looked like we were facing some of the worst, I had a couple of friends from the upstate contact me and also a couple of pastors in Charleston. They said, We're trying to set up some lists of people who might be able to receive your people if they need to be evacuated. We'll be glad to host them as best we can. I thought that was gracious. So very thoughtful to think ahead of what our needs might be. Very loving. When the path seemed to shift and it was headed more in their direction, we offered the same. You were gracious enough to say, yes, if if need be, we'll be willing to host some of those families if they have to evacuate here. It was loving of you. Some of you gave blood this week. That is loving. Some sent money and supplies to help out with Hurricane Harvey and are now doing the same for Hurricane Irma. That is loving. Giving to Epworth Children's Home is loving. I'm grateful for each of you who are loving God and neighbor in these important ways and other ways as well. Loving neighbors you don't even know. Those good people in Simpsonville and Greer, and they didn't know who we'd be sending their way if we would. All they went on is that their pastor said, the pastor he knew said these people were going to be okay, and they said, all right, we'll take them. You were willing to be similarly generous to help people you don't even know. Blood donors don't know who is going to receive the blood they give. We have no idea who the individuals are who are going to be supported by the gifts we're sending through UMCOR to Texas and the Caribbean and Florida. Almost none of us know the children who are living at Epworth Children's Home right now. And yet we're sending money to help them because it's loving to do so. It's not only not not doing wrong to your neighbor. It's actively 
doing good. Isn't that great? It's fulfilling the law. Sometimes we get burdened by this law, the law, the Ten Commandments, and then the 613 descriptions of how those are to be lived, and then the the religious leaders, what they pile on top of that to make sure we know just what to do and what not to do, and it feels overwhelming. And then then we we get a word from Paul, and he says, when it comes to others, there's, there's one law. Memorize it. Live it. When it comes to others, love your neighbor as yourself. It's the fulfilling of the law. Covers them all. What a relief. There are lots of ways to love our neighbors, the neighbors we don't know, the neighbors we know well. Sometimes love is what we do. Love is patient. Love is kind. Sometimes love is what we don't do. Love does not commit adultery, murder, steal, covet. But the most difficult ways to love may be those attempts we make to love the people we know just a little. Those people we know enough to know that they're probably difficult to love. It's nearly universally agreed, and I can't believe I have to qualify that, that no one, despite their ethnicity, their intelligence, their political leanings, their religion, or lack thereof, deserves to be left alone when four feet of water are standing in their house. They deserve our care, whoever they are. We love them, even from afar, or or from close up. We go out and we muck out their homes and when we put on new roofs and we replace drywall. We're good at those kinds of things. The challenge for us, the challenge for everyone, is to love them, to love others like them, Love people as they are, with all their quirks and sensibilities and personalities and opinions and hang-ups and needs. To love those kind of people close up and for an extended period of time. That's a challenge. I need to pray the Lord's Prayer often. Weekly is not enough. I need to pray it at least daily. There are a lot of reasons for that, but primary among them is that line, that line, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I need to have prayed that before I see some of you people. Not you, others. I need to love you enough to let you be you. And to let go of thinking you're a fraction of what you ought to be. Or about this thing that we disagreed upon. About this annoying habit that you have. Or, or whatever it is that first comes to mind when I think of you that could be a hindrance between me loving you the way I, I want to. 
I need that line from that prayer so that I can give people fresh starts. I'm really not talking here about deep forgiveness. I'm not talking about people who've been truly injured when I've been really hurt. That's a longer conversation, a much more nuanced theology. I'm just talking about loving those who aren't how I'd have them be. Because what I'm learning is most people are not as one-dimensional as they can appear. For the same reasons that the people we admire are vulnerable to falling off that pedestal we've placed them upon. Those who we've dismissed for their being whatever have some good in them if given a chance might just be revealed. Appreciated. It would be nice to give people a second chance or fifth or seventeenth or how does Jesus say it? Seven times seventy? Wouldn't that be nice? Sometimes my Duke professors get on pastors like me for always telling you to be a little nicer as if the gospel is all about you being a little nicer. I don't think I'm asking you just to be a little nicer. I'm asking us to be a little holier, more faithful. It's good to do things for neighbors we've never met. That's part of discipleship. It's, it's, it's good. It's also good to be generous with our love for those we have met. And those we will meet. And those who want to be part of our community, but aren't sure we would want them. Those we want to be part of our community, but we haven't found the right way to let them know that yet. The United Methodist Church says our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And then it it puts verbs to that language. Describes how it's done. We're to proclaim, to seek, to welcome, to gather, to lead, to nurture, to send. There are no indications in all of that that we should withhold the gospel from certain people. That we should only seek and welcome particular people. Only lead and nurture this kind of person. Since Jesus is our model for loving, we tend to look to Him as we should and see how He was, is. What we see in Him is a man who went to all kinds welcomed all kinds, nurtured all kinds. Yes, He taught them a holier way. After He accepted them for who they were, He helped them to become who He knew they could be. Parents do that. Teachers do that. Coaches do that. They don't begin with scorn about who they wished they had as their children or their students or their Players, they're excited about who it is they have and about the opportunity to help that shine even brighter. Be that all the more. Christian mentors are helping disciples express more fully who God intends them to be. Who they will be when the day arrives.
You know what day Paul is talking about there, right? This, this day of the full consummation of God's creation, when the world, when we are what God intended us to be, what God wants us to be, what God is helping us to be, when we're living in ways that reflect that day, we won't start with, what's wrong with you for not being like me? We won't start with, I'll welcome you. I'll even love you once you get to be like this. We start with, God loves you. And God loves me. And God loves us enough to call us into a community together. A community which will change us both. Change all of us. A community where we'll have to adjust and where we'll have to accept and where we will grow together. Or to say it a better way, this year your church staff has been spending a portion of our staff meetings uh, learning from each other about each other's ministries. Each staff member has taken a week and shared about a particular part of their ministry so that we could have a better grasp of the others. When it came to be her turn, Adrian Reynolds took us up to the children's hallway and we went and saw some of the ministries to go on up there. She concluded her time by showing us a video from the United Methodist Church. The video had an interviewer talking with these children about our slogan, open hearts, open minds, open doors. He asked them what it means. There were lots of nice and profound and good responses. But the one that captured me was this, I don't know, 10-year-old girl. She said, it's like everybody is just invited. It's like, come on. We'll love you. Adrian says that's how she sees ministry with the children, and we all nodded appreciatively. Nate seems to see ministry with youth like that, which we would applaud. Does it change when it comes to adults? I can't imagine that it does for God. From what I know of Jesus, the invitation that he would have us offer to anyone is come on. We'll love you. Of course, the challenge... The joy of any invitation is fulfilling it. So go on and love.